Chicago hard, Chicago hard, Chicago hard. Up and into them, right from the start of the game. the Chicago State of Mind. We are a Chicago sports podcast from the perspectives of Southside guys with an unapologetic Chicago bias. If this city could talk, it would say Chicago versus everybody. Now, as we, we told you guys, we had, we had a special guest joining us this week. We are joined by a Chicago legend. This man dominated Chicago basketball in the 90s, Mr. Ronnie Fields. Ronnie, get on in here and talk to him. What's good, bro? No, man, just, you know, hey, Try to get these young guys ready for a season that's coming up for high school and um, finishing up one of my AAU developmental um, travel programs. And that's right now, just having an open gym with the guys, just getting a good look at them, run up and down, and, and start, you know, like piecing some things together, seeing what we can do this year. How they looking? You know, it's yet to be seen. Like from, you know, from uh, we got some skilled players, not a lot of height, but we got some speed. Some 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 athletes, so just trying to you know, like carve the right game plan around the skills that we have. So that's one of the things that um our focus would be right now is putting these guys in the best position to be able to succeed out there. Just entering this coaching rank, I know you spent some time over at Fenwick. Now you're over at Hope. Could you just kind of talk to us about just how that transition into coaching has gone for you? Well, I think the good part for me is like I studied a lot of basketball a lot of sports in general, but like basketball, football. And for me, I've been still coaching travel a lot over the past 10, 12 years. But the difference in high school, it's you're not playing with five, six, seven really great players like that on the team. So you find the strengths and weaknesses throughout your team and trying to put the right combination together out there with some of the guys that have a different, you know, skill. Some, you know, may have more skills than other, but putting them in the right position, that helps us. Just from just, I mean, you you played with, with, with Nelson there at Farragut, and that's a world-renowned team that we all know about. Could you talk to us just about some of that that blueprint that he instilled in you? See, at the time when I played and the way I was coached is so different now. So for me, it's more of having a tough love, but more soft love along with the approach but also guiding them, applauding them, um, because it's, it's just different nowadays. Um, you know, no matter how you slice it, in coaching the young youth, need more caring to attention to let them know it's just not all based on you have love for them just on the court. 
you show me I love for them off the court as well to get them to understand the reason I'm hard on you in the court because I figure you can do these things. I believe in that you can do these things out here and to get them to understand that. You, we, we're right around you, your age. And Al here, he hooped at DuSable. I played football at St. Rita. We know all about like that, that old school mentality when it came to coach. It's, it's all type of ways to get the job done, right? And I think that today it's important to just make sure the youngsters feel like you care about them as people. Exactly. And that's the thing of today is like a lot of things more magnified and brought to the forefront from bullying to whatever sexual preference to you know, single moms to um, job opportunities, a lot of things, living living environment. So you got to take all this stuff into consideration as a coach um, when you're coaching to pretty much know, yeah, it's just a game. And we want you to all do well to succeed as a group and individuals off the floor. But just getting the band and let them know that, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, we are family. We actually care for you as a human being first. But, you know, your story and, and, and the, the triumphs that you had over, you know, some of the adversity that you that you had after your time at Farragut. What are some of those messages that you talk to the kids about? Because I know you've done a lot with speaking and doing a lot of speaking engagements. You had your bounce back documentary. So what are some of just those stories that you kind of instill in your, in your uh, student athletes? Well, for me. What I always try to do is to get them to understand in life. Um, you don't want to have no one deal with so much of a bad, adverse situation where it's mentally some of the kids can't bounce back from in life. Some, it, you know, just may not be built that way, and 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 it's okay. But also being able to teach them how to fight through some adversity that they're going to face in life where it can make them strong and it can benefit down the, you know, the long run. And to understand sometimes going through toughness, you difficult situations. And once you make it out and you learn from them, you feel better about yourself and things that you accomplish. When I look at your story and some of the things that you had to deal with, not a lot of people would have been able to withstand. Navigate. Yourself. Yeah. Well, so could like you kind of, yeah, could you kind of talk to us about just like, just for you, man, what was your mindset when you were going through all that and how were you able to kind of weather the storm? Well, this is one thing i tell you this. When, you, when you're younger, I'm sure your parents probably did the same thing or your grandma. When you was real little, you probably used to wonder why they make you get up and go to church in the morning. Yep. All the time, trying to find you or you going, whatever. We Even though we didn't understand at the time. But we, you know, figured that was a place that we needed to be every Sunday, right? But as you get older, you start understanding the, the whole purpose behind that and the power of God, of your circumstances you're going to face. Eventually, if you're strong enough and you're not looking for advice from drinking or doing drugs to to darken the moment that you don't have to feel the pain of the, the situation that you've been through, Yes, you can go the way. For me, I was, you know, each, I was a chosen, chosen one to where the things that in the that was in front of me, the Lord knew. Okay, this probably be one of the kids or this one of the young man that could probably handle it. So you look in life and you can be put in situations where those things happen, and you can ignore it and be like, oh, 
forget it. That's life. And you just move on. You're still doing stupid things. Instead of sometimes you can be to a point where you can lose a lot to a point where you lost so much that it's hard to recover from. So for me, going all those things, I kind of looked at it in a more of a positive way. And it brought me back to coaching today. That helped me a lot through all that adversity that I faced. So like, I, but I bring to my kids and I tell them, I say, look, my story played out in life. There's no bones about it. And you see why I'm here today and why I'm celebrated, not just because of what I've done on the court, but because of adversity and a lot of things I've done off the court to get back to show a lot of kids that's probably in hard situation like just continue to fight and believe and remain positive and just have good people that they encounter that comes around that actually want to help them and be there. And that's so sometimes, uh, sometimes that, you know, young youth deep, um, just some people that can help guide them through those situations. Like I say, you know, sometimes people pick and life that can handle those things. And then the ones that you see can't handle it, they find those vices. If it's drinking, if it's right. drugs, if it's a lot of women are partying because it's hard for them to get over the fact of, hey, basketball done or this happened, now move on. That's the things that even in my own life that I've kind of even struggled with. So that was, that was real. Would you say that some of the things that you even talked about right there is what made you tell your story and bounce back? Like, what went into it for you sharing some of not only the triumphs, but, but also talking through people with some of the failures, but then also, also how you overcame that failure as well? But what went into you wanting to share that story with the world? Because as, as pieces of things that transpired throughout my life, even from the standpoint of the accident, moving forward and still be able to still walk and even still have a career. This is what I tell people, you know, a lot of guys that have played ball, they probably was good to probably play at the next level, but probably wasn't celebrated on the level where I was, right? You know, uh, my class, we had some great players. But the thing that helped me realize a couple of things in life was good to, you know, being thankful to be able to move on, have my limbs and be active to do things as this. I had two options from that accident that could have, took place and the two was very close so if you look at life like dying and paralyzed anything you come out of that moving forward in life should nothing be able to like deter you mentally from being thankful that now one of those things happened because those two easily could have won and that's it's only two out of the three mm -hmm. and the one the Lord picked for me was to keep me healthy, keep me going, keep me mobile to and strong to be able to share these experiences and stories. If not, that's why for me, I tell people, look, if I had to be in a situation uh, to look back, to tell that, I say, look, these are choices that could have been in front of me. So you think I'm really worried about to the point of I didn't plan the NBA after that, even though I could have? No. I'm more to the point where mentally those are two things do that out of the three, those are the two worst. It ain't like I had four out of them. Right. It, was two, it was basically those three things. 
come back healthy, paralyzed, or dead. And I got the healthy end of it. So that's why, like, now, every step of the way, along with how it transpired, I start looking at my life different. Because sometimes, like, people like to, to want answers right away or know their purpose, right? The minute I start being a little bit calm, focusing my mind on those things, people start coming into your path in different ways. So how that story came upon when I wasn't thinking about it was I put my focus on to be determined to continue to get healthy and play. So I was trained. And this time I was trained at a gym downtown. And, you know, people come and ask for autographs and stuff like this. And I sit, talk, do that, do those things. But this one particular, you know, who's now is a really good close friend of mine. This guy walked up and I didn't know what he wanted. He said, hey, I just want to shoot, you know, sit down, talk with you, you know, do a video, whatever. So that led to let's do a documentary. And that moment, from there it took off. And every purpose or everything that went in front of me from that point, I stopped paying more attention to. Is this a purpose of something that the Lord want me to see? It's it's a tricky situation. You don't know. But from there, that opened up a lot of different doors and meeting a lot of people and then understanding my purpose of a story in life when we came to the conclusion we was going to work on this documentary. And you're talking about Thatcher, right? Yes, Thatcher. Yeah. And that, I mean, that documentary was uh, phenomenal. On your website, you know, you had it on there. You had uh, the interviews you did with uh, Kaplan and, and some of the Chicago uh, media types. And the one thing that, that was really true in each one of those interviews was just the genuine love that those media types had for you. And that's not common here in this space, especially here in Chicago. Yeah. And so what do you attribute that to? Not only you have respect from people that you play with, the fans, but this also the media as well. This is what I tell people about this city. Yeah. You know, what people don't understand about Chicago, regardless of what people may think or uh, say, I don't care, you know, whatever opinions people may have of the media, um, our violence, um, the history of Al Capone, whatever it may be. One thing about guys, if you truly from Chicago and you even working in Chicago too, the people love you when you're from where you at because they want to protect you. Regardless of certain articles, people got to write. That comes with it. And those bad parts of the article that can be true, it comes with also some mistakes you're going to make that's put out there. You just can't have, oh, you was this great player, you did this, but then you go do this stupid thing and that's all reported comes with it. You know, and I know the Chicago media has done an amazing job of um, covering me and, you know, the Kaplan, the Bob Sakamoto's, the Pot Ashes. I mean, all these guys that had covered me at Sun-Times. Platt, Travis. Oh, yeah. All these yeah. Guys. And this is the thing. I tell people this. Out of all reporters, I love them all. But the first person that discovered me, that made that ranking to me, the number one eighth grader, was Clyde Travis. And at the time, you were seven, eight grade, you ain't, you like, oh, I just made the paper. You ain't looking at it would turn out to what it was. 
me being the number one eighth grader, then the number one ninth grade in the country. Um, for me, like I say, the, the city, yeah, you have your haters, your doubters. That's why I, I try not to get into many debates over who was the best player, who was this and that, yeah, out of Chicago. Right. Because the talents that we have put out there on display has been amazing. And we all have our own unique style and way of we impact gyms and made impacts. And, you know, I'm one of those players just with a lot of many more. And, you know, it's another thing, too, with the Chicago Hooper, like a D. Rose, right, or a Jabari. They come from that same cloth, but when you talk to them, you just know what it is, right? And I respected Jabari when he first came to Chicago. You remember this, Ronnie, when they were trying to take shots at D. Rose, and Jabari wouldn't let him do it. And yeah. that's just like that, that that's that code that I just feel like Chicago Hoopers have with each other. So it's a community, it's a fraternity, and I just love how yeah, you guys wrap it up. Like we might like we we look we take shots at each other. I love, but we ain't finna let no outsiders definitely take no shots at no guys from Chicago, period. If you you from outside Chicago, you taking shots, you're gonna get it. You're gonna <laughs> feel it. You know, we might, you know, bicker amongst ourselves here, but it's all love. But outside of it. No, you can't come into our city and blast none of our ball players. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't going. <laughs> he was not no, going for it. <laughs> yeah, we ain't having that. We so, having that. like I said, again, man, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to even have this discussion with you and just thankful for the time. Obviously, the Farragut story, you playing with KG. Could you just talk to our audience just how that all came to be? I know you guys played at a camp together, but how did it come to be that you guys got the team up that year in 94? <laughs> Well, that's what, so like I said, the stars have a line in life. I'll put it like this. If I'm not being the number one player in my class at the time, I'm not invited to Nike All-America camp because that's where it all started, along with my coach was invited. The crazy part about that, when we got there, you know your, your high school coach don't coach you. Right. My running mate, my man, I love him to death, was AI. We was on the same team. That was my opposite wing. The crazy part about with Kevin, they had the, probably the best team in there. My coach from Farragut coached his team. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's how that all transpired. And then Nike had another big thing at the time. It was called the 540 shootout, right? But even at Nike, me and Kevin didn't really, we, talk, we just watched each other, but we really never had a lot of interaction. But like I said, God have plans and stars aligned. So now we had this another big event coming up months later called the Foul 40 Shootout. Where they drive the top 40 players in the country all the way out to Nike, the Portland base. And when you get there, most times you don't know who your roommate is. Everybody flying in, they just tell you once you get to the desk. When I get there, of course, you know who my roommate ended up being. Yep. And that's when it was like, for sure, we didn't know because he just talking. Kevin would never <laughs> shut up. His ass. Talk about, you know, and I ain't know that it would lead to the next summer. I'm here shooting a video, doing some dunks, and my coach pull up, and he in the car. I'm like, what you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> he like, oh, I'm here to stay, and I'm here to play. I'm like, what? And from there, I knew it was going to be just a, a dark day for a lot of people here. Man, 
I, I'll never forget y'all what that proviso was, man. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was a yeah, shorty. Man. I'm like, man, how come my basketball team ain't like this? That was crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but that was what it was, man. It was and like this is the thing I always tell now, these young kids. I think what Kevin for me, kids embrace playing with great players that feed and hunger and energy off each other. That's what made us great. We won a lot together because it was like, oh, Kevin, you know, now that he's here, this is his team now. You know, he's a senior and I'm the junior. And that role, we played well. You know, and it, and it worked out amazing for both of us. You know, and one of the things that I always just loved about KG was just even when he thought back to that time playing with you, he was like, dude, he was probably better than I was. And I know you don't get into that type of debate, but for you, I mean, that's got to make you feel some kind of way, man, to hear KG saying that about you. Yeah, I mean, and that's, like I said, it's a humbling, you know, compliment from my man. I love him um, like a big brother. But for me, yes, I think I was a great player. But what Kevin was doing at his size, it was unreal to me because I never seen nobody at his size do what he was doing. I seen, right. I seen normal big man in, in NBA, college, but nobody was doing what he was doing. That's why I thought it was unreal. And that's what so made it so crazy for us because I do some things unreal that he never seen, and he would do things that I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> You know, so that's what made the magic was so uh, great when we, you know, we teamed up. They're the greatest uh, ticket in town, man. They had scalpers out there at y'all at y'all games. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of that. Uh, you know, I think that the thing is with that team and like when you you team up with another great player, you have to want it and you put your ego to the side because most guys be like, oh man, I've been the man now. No. You embrace another great player come with you, that makes it even better. And that's why I was we was able to be able to do what we did. And I and I gotta ask you this about what you're seeing in the in the high school landscape right now. You got a lot of transfers and things that are going on. I kind of want to get your thoughts on kind of what you're seeing with the landscape because it's so different because at your time, you guys were able to coexist. Where I feel like in today's game, I don't necessarily know if guys will be able to coexist like that. Well, I think now because kids transfer for See the wrong, like I said, you want to transfer and play. But when you sign up to go somewhere, and if you transfer for a situation that you had to, a coach put another player out there in front of you and you didn't beat out, then that's your fault. And I understand leaving. But if you didn't give it your all or be patient and go through adversity and understand, look, you transfer into another school. It's not a guarantee the other coach is going to be in the same way. Or you just got to work. We want, I would love for more kids in the basketball sense of life, of going through adversity like that, like earning it, being patient, working hard, trusting the process. So they know what it's like once they be successful, what they had to go through, the work they had to put in. That's the one thing, if I can change right now with the transfer portal. I would love for that to be the change for me. And I mean, because the kids are just transferring, to be transferring. And you move from school to school. It's like the more you do it, you basically not getting yourself a chance to face adversity 
through life to know what it's like or how it is to go through tough things and succeed. So one of the things I think that people really forget about your story is, okay, fine, it, you, the NBA didn't work out for you, but you played 17 years professionally. And I don't think enough people talk about that. Can you talk to us just about some of your favorite experiences, like from playing overseas and just kind of how that was for you? Well, for me, it was one of the amazing things to be able to travel at a young age, to be in different countries of things in the U.S. that you as a young kid, you didn't even know about. So you 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 getting the chance to see different style of basketball and learning so many different things of like understand you can be great athlete and all that and do certain things, but in other countries you can see basketball can be played different. That your athletic ability can only do so much if you don't understand the game. See, it's a lot of players that careers was short because they didn't understand and can adapt to it mentally. And IQ-wise, um, for me, every year I chose to get better at something throughout the years to be able to play as long as I did. And that helped me. I mean, so when you look at, like, like the time in the CBA, right, when you uh, led the league and scoring back-to-back seasons, right, that was part of your game where you kind of evolved, right? Because I feel like then yeah. you were working on different parts of the game and that jumper started coming alive and everything else. So yeah. that's that's something that I think that, we're seeing starting to happen with some of the players in the, in the game now where they're starting to work on different aspects of the game and their perceived weaknesses. But for you, what was it that made you say, okay, I know back in this time of my life, I'm dunking over people 51 inch vertical, but what, what was it for you? Just like, all right, I gotta, I gotta change my game up. Because the point of like, you start, you have, you were pros. You look what NBA talent players you're playing with now. So you gotta think some of those guys can jump as well. So it was like, all right, being six, three and a half at the time, it's like, how do I use my ability to get to spots on the floor, be effective, not just, you know, getting the ball in transition, but in half court, knowing how to come off screens, knowing how to use my footwork, knowing how to attack guys, you know, left foot, um, knowing how to use my play with my back to the basket if I needed to. All those things I had to add to my game. And I know your one coach, he was trying to transition you into a point guard. You know what I mean? Because I think that it was was the thinking there. He thought that that would be the the way to get you oh, to the league. Or what? What was the, what that? Decision? Yeah, at the exactly. And I think it was so crazy. Now, if you see to today, that I guess because that was the era of Michael Jordan playing at the position that you wanted to have bigger guards to guard guys like that. And sometimes, like I say, things happen. Like I would have been fine in the league. Trust me. Because of my mentality is just like Kobe's and Mike's. So I tell guys it's the thing. It's it's one of those things to go out there and just, you know, have athletic ability. But another thing is like you understand the game and you much you determine more than the next guy next to you. And that was me. You know, I tell people I just had that mindset growing up. And I tell you, he playing in one of the toughest divisions in the country at the time, even in the Red West. Shoot. I mean, I told people, I think yesterday I realized a stat where in my senior year, I probably averaged going to the free throw line maybe four times a game, which is not a lot, right? No. Mm-hmm. And I still average close to 33 a game. Or see, <laughs> that's what people don't realize. Yeah. Going to the line four times a game for a slasher and a score, that's not a lot. No. So what was it, man? You weren't getting calls or was just you were just scoring with ease? Because, I mean, you were making the 40 balls look easy back then. <laughs> well, the, th- the thing is, like I say, 
timing, you know, timing is, is a lot. And then you got to think also, I was still a really good player, but I wasn't the player I was after my accident. Um, and that kind of hindered me a little bit because when I did go with teams, a lot of teams, at least 10 teams, the one thing that they noticed, the plate in my neck from my injury, my accident, they had to put that there. They seen that I quenched in a lot of pain, but it was happened to be right after the tree drive. Was, I remember talking to Timmy, Tim Duncan, and he was asking me, is I okay? And I was like, I think so, but I wasn't the Ronnie Fields that I was post-injury, post-accident. I mean, what was that role to recovery life? Well, just the opportunity to get back on the court, regardless of where I was at, that was more like the medicine for me. You see what I'm saying? Um, and the opportunities was coming to play all over the world. So, you know, that was like therapeutic um, for me as well. So I'm able to be able to play as long as I did, and I retired early because of my daughter. Like I say, it was an amazing time of learning so much throughout those years. I bet. I bet. I mean, I looked at some of the places where you played. I'm like, all these different countries, Greece and Venezuela. I'm like, man, I know he and you had some times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the thing is, is you know, it was more was, was amazing to go to countries and these people know you, your school, where you came from. And to come out to a crowd of people where they got these big old prompters and they got your highlights up there. Wow. Like, that was crazy. So, like, your stuff from Farragut, they would, they would have? Yeah, they would play all that up there. Wow. Man, that had to be something else. You in another country here, and you like, man, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was special, man. That was special. I mean, listen, I was keeping a buck here, but the shit you was doing was special. So, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> Thank, I'm, not, you, I'm not surprised you're getting that kind of love. I mean, you still get it. I mean, honestly, we, <laughs> I know Al, he's got a question for you here before we wrap up. But, man, I'm okay. just still tripping out on the fact that, dude, just we were able to get you on the show, man, because this is just an honor, man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, yeah. When was that moment for you, you realized that, you know what? Ain't nobody contain me. I'm that dude. I think, you know, what's so crazy. I think, like, I used to tell people's story when I I must have was determined to play basketball because I remember the first time I used to go out with all these older guys that was way older than me, 15, 16, 17 years older than me. So I'd be begging these dudes, man, let me play a little bit. So they wouldn't let me play. I kept hounding them so they'd let me play on their little teams, like the little programs outside. Right. So I remember – the first time, this when I knew I was wanting to play. I got out there and I went to take a shot and the guy blocked my ball so much hard I went in the parking lot. So there he was like, Why are you laughing? I was like, Man, that was crazy. That was nice. He's like, dude, I just he's like, this kid crazy. That's <laughs> what I knew it was something about basketball that I was gonna play. Cause after that I was still determined. I was just happy to be out there. Right. So I learned from these guys that's like 17, 18. 19, 20 years older than me and stuff. And that's when I was like, my, the coach would take me up there with the high school guys. And I was a freshman, really not a freshman yet, but was in eighth grade. When I was up there dunking on seniors and blocking they shit off, boy, that's when I knew I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this thing, he told me, I was like, 
I thought I was coming in to go play sophomore. He's like, no, nah, you starting on varsity right away. I'm like, what? And then yeah. my first year, I averaged like 17 a game as a freshman in the Red West, the tough Red West. So that's a tough conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then from there, every year, this is when you know you was in the upward trajectory. So my freshman year was 17 points. My sophomore year was 22 points. Then when Kevin came with me, it was at like 25, 26 points. And then my senior year, I was at 33 points. That was the, the video game numbers you was putting Ooh. up. Yeah. He dominated. Yeah. Well, she, you seen that mural they put up? Shit, I was like, let me talk about <laughs> up there in that gym. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, shit, that shit crazy. But no, hey, hey, Ronnie, for real, man, thanks so much for pulling up with us. Before you get out of here, can you tell the audience a little bit more about your Elite Classic that you got coming up next year? I saw something about that online. So I want yeah, you to plug what that up. What I want to start doing for, you know, like, especially like people in Chicago, Illinois, you know, city, suburban area, is putting a tournament together where we can not just have it like an AAU tournament where we can have purpose in games where guys strive for player of the games, MVPs of the tournaments, and then I get a chance to speak with every person that participate in the tournament, have all-star games. So we want to put something together a little different from the, the travel that a lot of people been been doing to having something that kids embrace besides just, oh, I got two games again, and then I'm, I'm done. So we want to make it more enjoyable for people and more entertaining as well. Well, that's what's up, man. So what do you have the dates or anything like that or a website? Right now, if y'all want to come out and cover and set up, but right yep. now we're looking at is at Hope Academy, which is the quest. I think we got April 13th and 14th. So Perfect. put that on your calendar, guys. Um, I'm gonna do some speaking at the tournament before we get started. Um, just send a message out to all the teams and kids that's participating in it. And we'll appreciate it. We'll definitely be there and we'll definitely get the word out. And for sure, man, thanks again. We'll be seeing you this season, man. Don't worry, we'll pull up on you. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Come out and support Hope Hope Academy, man. Down, you know, um, over at the Quest Center. Now we kick off uh, against Kendall Gilnam's son at St. Ignatius, November the 20th. Ooh, big time game. Hey, that's a that's yeah. a line, a future line right there. <laughs> yes, yes. So definitely, y'all guys, you know, come check it out. I'm finna, um, now I got to get back out here and watch these boys run up and down, man. But, hey, guys, it was great talking to you guys. Stay blessed, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, I appreciate you, brother. We'll talk right, to you soon. All right, guys. All right, later. And a legend. Wow. Big time Ronnie Fields. Man, you talk about legendary. Everybody knows this guy, man. But it's good to hear what he had to share with us about his background, his story, and what he's been up to. And the fact that he was so at peace with the trials and tribulations of his life. That's something that I want people to, when they listen to this episode, yep. just to peep that. This guy was at the top of the top. Had some, you know, some, some shortcomings that happened in his life. But it's not how many mistakes you make. It's how you overcome those mistakes, right? And Absolutely. you look at the adversity that he overcame. Didn't make excuses. Not at one time when he spoke to us during that segment did he make an excuse. He None. took full accountability. But humble. Like, dude, there's people out here in this world, they can stand to humble themselves a little bit. For a guy like that, I didn't get any bitterness. I didn't get any anger. Just a guy that's content. You know what I'm saying? He's had a good life. Obviously, he know it could have maybe been a little bit different. But at the end of the day, 
Man, bro, that it, it hit me earlier in the show, man, when he talked about people and, and vices and how they turn to things instead of positivity. That that right. was that was that's that said a lot. That that hit me. So you hit a good point. You talk about being able to overcome something, man. And that got to hit home for a lot of us because there are people who are still trying to overcome certain things right now. So make a guy like Ronnie Fields an inspiration to you when it comes down to things of that nature. And then you talk a lot about just his experience in general, man. Like you said, being a superstar in Chicago in area. He has a lot to offer to a lot of kids, man, that come from this city who's trying to make it big in the sports and who are going through things, right? They can learn from that and use that as a tool and say, hey, Ronnie Fields has been through some things. I heard him speak. Let's make that an inspiration for myself to move forward and to get better as a player. And also, if you're not moving the way that you should be moving out here, his story can be a cautionary tale for you to straighten up. But, man, this was powerful, probably one of the best interviews I think we've done. I'm just still, like, just sitting back here humbled that he gave us some time today, man. The Ronnie Fields legendary legacy continues. Absolutely. Jordan was, he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way.